On this episode, we discuss Gotti. Forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it doesn't get better than that. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart over here. Stuart Wellington, that is. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalen, Ellie Bag of Donuts. Yeah, from the block. Yeah, one of the boys. As you can tell from our uh, a period appropriate uh, and region appropriate <laughs> accents, we're talking about the movie Gotti today on the Flophouse. <laughs> That's right, because what do we do on this podcast, Dan? Wow, we're really getting into it fast this time. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we, we watch a bad movie. Oh, sorry, Dan, should we dilly-dally more? How was your guys' weekend? <laughs> I mean, usually we dick around a little bit. How much trampolining did you do this weekend? Because I did a fair amount. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would say I spent zero is trampolining, hours trampolining. Uh, is trampolining like a new uh, thing kids are doing? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a slang innuendo for jumping on a trampoline. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Cool, cool. Uh, hey, guys, how many times did a four-year-old boy demand you play a Monty Python-based card game with him? I don't know. Not, not, not. <laughs> because cause uh, that is, can you describe, that is the new... <laughs> describe the mechanics to me, please. <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's a variant of the game Flux. So okay. it's a card game in which the goal and the rules of the game are changing, and you want to collect uh-huh. uh, certain items that match a goal card as long as that goal card is in play. This is a game that uh, was gifted to me. I know certain people hate the word gifted that use that way, but mm-hmm. I don't care, whatever. Shakespeare made up words all the time. Uh, gifted to me by my wife, and we said to my son, it says on the box it's for ages 13 and up, so it might be a little complicated for you. We'll uh, We'll play this with you another time. Instead, my son absorbs the rules as if by osmosis almost instantly and loves the game and wants to play it constantly. And so anytime uh-huh. he is not like in the bath or in a, in the car or eating, he's like, Monty Python, Monty Python, let's play Monty Python. Yeah. Daddy, can you guess what I'm thinking right now? Monty Python. Hey, Daddy, I'm thinking of a game that starts with M, Monty Python. And he went, we played it three times this morning. Elliot. And he beats, he beats me one third to two thirds of the time we play. Elliot, you, you can't see because your camera's off, but I'm crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> We've said to him, we're like, we're like, Stuart's going to be very happy to play a game with you someday, Sam. Sammy uh-huh. is, he, Stuart, I've been talking to him a lot about you because he seems to grasp game mechanics very quickly, uh-huh. and he's all about games, and he he actually, he, he I'm, it's worrying me a little bit because he started de- designing what he calls a murder world, where <laughs> he, he, he wants to put people through what he calls games with the ultimate risk and the ultimate penalty. <laughs> Oh, so man. I don't he's know. He's already got the tagline on the box ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he started building a prototype with his Legos. And I mean, it, it seems like it works pretty well. Nobody's seen the mailman in a few days. I mean, I feel so. like the game with the ultimate risk and ultimate penalty was already designed and it's called Don't Break the Ice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would think it was Don't Wake Daddy because the secret was Daddy... He's an alcoholic. Yeah, you oh, don't no. want to wake him. He rates no, no. rage issues. Um, now, on the other hand, well, Elliot, crackers in my so bed. Nice to not hear so you bad. Describe how to play a game. Usually, <laughs> shoes on the other foot for me, and I have to describe a game to you or Dan to various <laughs> levels of complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I wouldn't say complaining. Maybe glazed uh, disinterest. Yeah. 
Okay. The, the and last now that- time Dan came over for a game night, every time it was his turn, he let out the most audible sigh. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and then he did the best out of everybody. So, you know. I mean, well, that's Dan at this point. The sigh doesn't really mean what we think it means. He's more sigh than man at this point. Yeah. And the sigh is just the way he interacts with the universe. Okay. That being said, Dan, rather than give you a chance to counteract that, let's, let's enough. Let's cut the shit, okay? No <laughs> offense. Uh-huh. Let's like, guys, we got real family business to deal with around here. <laughs> oh, real sure. top business. Because Dan, what do we? What's what? What? What do we do on on this love pod nostra crostra of ours? Well, we said it already. We watch a bad movie and then we talk about uh-huh. it. I couldn't and remember because the we dilly do this dally. Week, Dan, we watched Scotty. <laughs> uh huh. We watched Scotty okay. starring Johnny Travolta. Johnny mm-hmm. Travolta as Johnny Gotti. That's right, John Gotti, the Teflon mm-hmm. Don, the Dapper Don, Donald Duck, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Don Johnson. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess that's fair. He had a penis. Prove me wrong, Stuart. <laughs> okay, wait. I got to do the math. Uh, <laughs> wow, you ch- it checks out. Now, Gotti had the, uh, the it was in the 2018 Hall of Shame as it topped the list of many people's worst movies of the year. Do we feel the same way? Well, Let's just say that it was directed by E from the Entourage TV show and Holy leave it at shit. that. That's who it was? Yes. I, I knew I recognized that fucking name, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. At, after many years being attached as a possible Barry Levinson project, uh-huh. this book was finally handed into the equivalent hands of E from Entourage, <laughs> uh, whose name I, I can't remember. I'm sure he's a fine human being. I don't know. But uh, it seems like he was not as up to the task as, say, Barry Levinson. Now – Let's say one thing about Gotti. This movie wants to be Goodfellas so badly. Yeah. Like, it is, it like, it so wants to be Goodfellas. Everything about it is aping Goodfellas. And I think uh, it's missing out on what, just a spoil of it, it, it misses out on the main point of Goodfellas, which is that the mafia life is very seductive for good reasons, but it's also very self destructive and it will ruin your life. Whereas, yeah, it feels this like movie, somebody watched only the, like, only watched Goodfellas once while it was screening on, like, TBS. And, yeah. and and missed the end of it. <laughs> they they watched the first half of it and then got a phone call and they, and they were, and all they saw were helicopters and him getting a nice new house at the end <laughs> yeah. and they were like this looks pretty cool because this movie is about how the mafia life is very seductive because it's great and sometimes you meet really wonderful people like John Gotti. Yeah. Uh, now, guys, going into this movie, what was your level of knowledge about John Gotti? Uh, I knew he was a mafia kingpin. Uh huh. Okay. And that okay. was it. I think I was pretty sure he was dead. Okay. Uh yeah, so and Stuart similar? Yeah, I mean I watched this movie with my uh with my wife who had oh, a much larger uh knowledge base of John Gotti having grown up in, and lived all her life in Brooklyn. Yes. Now cuz this movie really seems to assume a very large amount of knowledge about John Gotti and his life on the part of the viewer, and also a real desire to connect with John Gotti. There are scenes that come up in the movie where you're you're supposed to be like, oh, this is what's going to happen. And I was like, and so they'd mention people's names, and I'd be like, okay, who? What? Like, there's a bunch of scenes where they're just mentioning the names of other real-life yeah. mobsters, and it was like, at this point, and this is what it must feel like when I'm talking about Star Wars in front of certain people, where I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you got Moma Nadon, and you got uh, Ponda Beba, and they're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh. syllables. Yes, that's what some of the scenes this movie yeah, felt like. Yeah, this so, movie loves to introduce new characters, loves it. And it's the, and it's, it's a mix <laughs> of it's a mix of that, you know, uh, an almost William Gibson-esque disregard to people's knowledge of the situation. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but also there will be scenes where they'll explain everything so explicitly that you're like, Stacy Keach, 
John Gotti would know the names of the five different boroughs of New York. <laughs> yeah. You don't have that to explain a, it in the greatest scene in the movie. Oh, that movie is where say, John Gotti, well, just skipping ahead, John Gotti is plotting to murder his own mob boss. And he's talking to the underboss, played by Stacey Keach. And Stacey Keach goes, you're going to have to have the heads of all five families and the heads of all five boroughs. Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx. Queens, Staten Island, and John Gotti is absorbing this information like a Padawan at the feet of a Jedi Master. And you're like, you think you think it would be shorthand, he would understand. But okay, so let's start with the movie. We open, John Gotti is standing next to, which bridge was that? Was that the, was that the 59th Street Bridge? Or I couldn't reckon, or the Manhattan Bridge? He's, he's standing next to a bridge in this, New York. This is an important if, detail for us to get correct, or else people will disregard our opinion of the movie. I know they'll be like, um, that was the right bridge, but it, it looks as if he just whacked uh, uh, Woody Allen and Annie Hall and mm-hmm. is standing next to the bridge they were looking at. But yeah. he addresses the camera and he talks about how he's from New York and he made it big. He started from the gutter uh-huh. and he made it big. And then he says what may, what I thought was maybe the funniest line in the movie. Oh, I love this life. End, this, this life ends in one of two ways, dead or in jail. I did both. And it's like, dude, everyone does both if they go to jail. Because it's not like <laughs> there's a mob boss who's been in jail for 200 years. Well, like, it's also, it's also, like the grim, it's also like the grim, the grim Reaper, the Grim Reaper, is. it's not a Final Destination scenario where the Grim Reaper wants to steal the soul of Sam the Chin Gigante, but Sam's in jail. And he's like, dast, these bars will stop my mm-hmm. skeletal fingers. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 yeah, his scythe keeps setting off the metal detector. And it, so he has to like, <laughs> in a cake. Also- he's, trying to, he's trying to sneak in his side through a cake and they're like, oh, nope. Try again. <laughs> Try again embodiment of the abstract notion of death and unbeing. Yep. You did not nail it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sammy. Yes, uh, Dan. Sorry. No, Let's I mean, talk to Sammy. It's fine. You can think of me as your son. Uh, I do kind of. I already do. <laughs> it's, all, it's also wrong in another way, which is there's one way that life ends and it's in death. Uh-huh. It's not like this. <clears throat> The other option is jail. It's like, I pick jail where I will live forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, he's, it's, you know, it's, it's, he's talking about, you know, the life, the mob life. Uh, so anyway, we cut to ni- 1973 and, and Gotti and, is. And also we, we had to point out that, uh, in, in that opening sequence and like much of this movie, John Travolta's wearing like actual clothes, the actual clothes of John Gotti. He had gotten, a lot of John Gotti's actual wardrobe to wear during this film. His oh, suits, I didn't realize that. Because the, mo- the movie, it is based on the memoirs of John Gotti's son, John Jr. Uh-huh. So I didn't realize that. So he's wearing John Gotti's suits. Is that why he felt the need to put on strangely varying amounts of makeup at different <laughs> points, depending on the age he thinks John Gotti's supposed to be? Because... Just to spoil something, he has some of the worst old age makeup I've seen in a long time. It's like he saw Guy Pierce in Prometheus and was like, "I can do better. I can outdo that." But he, uh, there at John, he's when he's playing old John Gotti, he's wearing such heavy makeup. Mm-hmm. I thought he was supposed to be ninety five years old, and then I looked up John Gotti at the end. They say John Gotti dead at the age of sixty one. I was like, "Wait a minute!" I looked up John Travolta is older than sixty one right now. So I guess <laughs> they had to make him look older than he is now. So they made him look like an elderly, like like a like a mummy. I mean, I guess so, he, had, he had been he had been like going through cancer treatment, maybe. So maybe, I mean, maybe <laughs> I don't, it usually doesn't make you look. Elderly, I don't know. Yeah, uh, and the, it's it's great that there's that they go so overboard with his old age makeup, but for the actor who plays John Gotti Jr., <laughs> there the only uh, nods to age changes are 
His hair is slicked down when he's younger. It's straight yeah. up when he's older. And I think he has a little bit of gray on the sides, J. Jonah Jameson style at the end. <laughs> and he wears glasses. He, they put glasses on him. There's a, so John, John Jr. is played by this guy who must be 21 years old through the whole movie. And there's a part at the end where he's saying goodbye to his family and his kids are all like – eight ten years old and i was like wait are these his younger brothers like hold on a second he does not it looks like the, are these friends of his that he, he brought home from school they're on a sleepover with him it was it's hilarious but and so to make john travolta look younger when he's young john Gotti, they just make his hair so black it's like gravity can't escape the light can't escape the gravity of his hair it's so mm-hmm. black but anyway yeah. so it's 1973 and young John Gotti, he's heading a team for Carlo Gambino of the Gambino crime family to find a kin- kidnapper who kidnapped somebody. I guess Carlo's son, I'm not sure. It's like, why'd they choose John Gotti to do it? Who knows? The next scene, they're in a bar, the kidnapper's gear, they, they shoot him in the head as smoke on the water plays. How do they find him? Who knows? Who cares? He's John Gotti. He's just good at that stuff. <laughs> and now he's a made man. Cut to... He's an old man in jail. Again, looks like he should be uh, guarding the one true grail mm-hmm. in, in a cave somewhere <laughs> so that Donovan can't can't drink the life of eternal youth from it. Yeah, and instead uh, he should just pick the right Pepsi, right? That's the thing. Like, if you pick the wrong <laughs> yep. Pepsi, your face melts. Yeah, I think that's how those commercials used to work, yeah. Uh, he's recovering from cancer, and he tells his son, John Jr., who again looks like he's about 15 years old, although he is playing the married father head of a mob family not to take a plea deal because that's the coward's way out cut back to him in jail as a young dad he won't let his son be a cop for halloween and we get to see him and his wife and he and his wife are like an snl version of a mob couple mm-hmm. they are and it's his real life wife right? yeah and the, that, yeah that's that kelly, kelly preston. preston and i believe that yeah. i believe that scene if if it was a sketch on saturday night live it would have been titled what's the matter with you <laughs> <laughs> And they would have hosted a show from their wood-paneled basement, yeah, about uh, about what's going on in in on the block in the neighborhood. But there, it's this, it's like a the old the like Boston sketch from uh, from SNL, where they're the Bostonians, like is a is a scene of restrained character work compared to the arguments. <laughs> and at this point, the movie is just ping ponging back and forth between the present and the and the past. Oh, I guess the the future, the past. I mean, the not as distant past and the very distant past in a way that I think is supposed to. Again, set up thematic uh, uh, lessons like Goodfellas does, but instead is it's just kind of it feels like a quilt, like a crazy quilt, the craziest of quilts. Uh, <laughs> and you're talking about send, the the Batman villain, not the uh, the hired gun card from the Doomtown collectible card game. You read my mind, Stuart. It's also, I'm <laughs> it's also very confusing the the time jumps because I like there will be like scenes within like the same year where like. I was watching this with a friend, and she kept being like, "How much time has passed? How much time <laughs> yeah. has passed?" Like, because there'd be scenes between the same year where, like, you have no idea, and then there would be like title cards occasionally that would tell you the year, mm-hmm. but then there would be like title cards that would tell you the year, and it was the same year as it was the the last time they told you the year. Mm-hmm. Like, there were like <laughs> yeah. five ones that said 1985. I'm like, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, so was still- there a fucking sale on 1985 title cards? <laughs> <laughs> Some of these 1985 title cards are just not moving the way they used to. We got we'll put a bulk discount on them. The uh, it's it's a movie that uh, it has some storytelling issues. Yeah, Dan, let's put a positive spin on it and say that it's it always keeps the audience on their toes. It's a okay. movie that yeah. challenges you to really pay attention to catch all the clues. It, also, it feels uh, like the fragmented watch- portrait. And those- if, yeah. The uh, keeping keeping the audience on their toes is a good choice of words, Elliot, because it was around now in the movie where. We have a scene where the character John Travolta is talking to other mafioso guys, 
and they're just like standing out in the street and they're using terms that uh, incensed my wife uh, because she had to jump up, stop the movie and explain to me that there is no way that mafia guys would stand around referring to things as the mafia and specific family <laughs> names. I mean, the fact the fact that La Cosa Nostra is literally the code word for the mafia because they don't want to say mafia that, yeah, they all have that. The fact that the, it's one of the, it's that, like we were saying, it's a movie that will withhold special information. Like who is John Gotti and where did he come from and why is he doing this? But then it will spoon feed you the idea that like, there's a family called the Gambino family. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, Also we're the mob. So we murder people. Yeah, okay. they'll yeah, say stuff that's, like, that's, oh, that guy is from the Greek mafia. <laughs> yeah. like, uh. It's, it's a part, of, part of storytelling is knowing what information is necessary and what information can be withheld. And I feel like they like did the photo negative of that. I, I wish that when, when we – because this, this movie is on Amazon Prime. I wish that when I pressed, pressed play, a, a title card came up that said, wait, don't watch this movie until you receive the information packet in the mail. And then I would just get like a special booklet in the mail called So You're Going to Watch Gotti. And it would explain a lot of the things I needed to know. Yeah. Because uh, We were watching with the a- subtitles on and that didn't really oh. help that much. Oh, totally. Now, there's a scene uh, – there, I want to mention very quickly my second favorite line in the movie after when he names all of the boroughs, which is – uh, John Jr., he's at the military academy. He says a news story about his dad on the mafia for su- being in the mafia because his dad is also famous always, mm-hmm. which was true in real life too. But then it cuts to, for some reason, John Gotti giving his other kids money to see a movie to get them out of the house. And he goes, uh, go see that movie you love about spaghetti, meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just something so stupid about that one, the specificity of like, look, we got to make sure everyone knows what year it is. So we'll have them go see meatballs. But I was like, he's Italian. So he's going to think the movie's really about meatballs. Oh, forget about it. Isn't that crazy? Come on. Like, it's such a, it's such a there, dumb moment. He's talking about meatballs. Jesus Christ. I didn't know what movie he's talking about. <laughs> oh. uh, so anyway, yeah, he's, he's plotting crimes on the street using terms they wouldn't use. Uh, he tells some guys to stop plotting crimes for a moment to help an old lady with her groceries. And he's keeping an he's keeping an eye on local businesses to make sure they're safe and supported. He's just a guy taking care of the neighborhood. Anyway, more and more, John Jr. is getting pulled into the life. John Gotti is meeting lots of other mobsters. There's a scene where he's at a disco and other mobsters are just being pointed out to him, and it feels like it's the recap at the beginning of a mob show, like they were they're just like remember all these guys and and it's, it's he's hanging out. Is this is he hanging out with Stacy Keach at this point? Yes, he's hanging out with Stacey Keach, who is what? Uh, what's this character's name? Nick or something? I I can't remember. Neil. But he's the Neil. Uh, he's he's the underboss to Paul Paul Castellano, who's the head of the family that yeah. they're in. And everyone's like, Stacey Keach, you should be the boss. You shouldn't be the underboss. Stacey Keach seems pretty happy being the underboss. But John Gotti has a problem with the boss Paul, which is that Paul doesn't care about family. He just cares about money. He's only in the mob for the money. He's not in the mob for all the bullshit macho loyalty garbage that gets thrown out the window constantly because the, the thing the about this movie is it's like whatnot it's almost like the last samurai of of mob movies where it's like this is a group of warriors and men of honor who care only about their dignity and about each other but then everything in the movie is about no they're just like violent jerks who beat people up yeah. and only want to, and want to take stuff like that everyone in the movie is and John Gotti's like I'm all about loyalty loyalty is the most important thing to me now you're going to help me kill my boss or what and uh <laughs> but uh so the uh meanwhile 
being a mob boss, it's not all peaches and cream. It's not all champagne and roses, guys. You know what? Being the head of a violent, murderous uh, crime syndicate that likes to pretend it is a sort of quasi-religious fraternal organization built on love when that love is enforced mainly through violence and money and also the abuse of women and hatred of minorities and all sorts of things. Uh, it's not <laughs> yeah. all it's not all it's not all the dream it sounds like because Gotti's other son, Frankie, mm-hmm. is hit by a car and <clears> killed <throat> with all the subtlety of a, an insurance scare commercial that they show you when you go to an insurance office to get you to buy more insurance. Uh, and it it almost tears the family apart. And this is a real, you know, it's a real tragedy that could happen to anybody, not just a mob boss. And this is when we see John Gotti really come to the fore as a as a husband and as a man, because even though he is constantly gone, either in jail or plotting crimes, and has most of his interaction with his sons involves giving them money to go see spaghetti movies. Here, he is <laughs> he is really there emotionally for his wife, who falls apart, and he puts his mob life on hold, you know, for a couple weeks to take his wife on a vacation. And guys, wouldn't we all do the same if our children were killed, put our jobs on the hold for a couple weeks to take our, our wives on the vacation so that they can get over it? I mean, Isn't as, that the- as long as we're men of honor, then yes, of course we would do that, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. If we're, uh, and, and he's a made man, right? So I'm not super into the mafia stuff. Being a made man is like being a knight, right? Like oh, oh yeah, very much so. It, I mean, and similarly, in that being a knight was also gussing up violence and oppression of the weak with an, with this idea of you're doing something holy and better. The mafia is just like that. Yes, and only can, in this case, can, a, can any made man make another person a made man like the way a knight can knight someone else? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. But I don't think it's like a vampire where you can just bite <laughs> okay. a made man bites a made man and turns them into a made man. <laughs> Although it's one of those things where. Uh, so they show they they show a made man ceremony later on when John Jr. becomes a made man, and it's basically like they they take some blood from your finger and I guess put it on a picture of the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. and there's a candle there, and they make you swear an oath, and then they tell you that if you ever rat them out, they're going to kill you, and then they're like, now you're our brother, and we're all brothers because I don't know about you guys, we all have brothers. I don't mm-hmm. usually enforce my relationship with my brother with threats of death if he turns <laughs> I mean, on when I, me. When well, you're growing up, there was a lot of that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, like, my brother is, is getting married next year, and we've been talking about his bachelor party stuff, and I'm not like, I'm not like, David Kalen, you're my brother. You're always going to be my brother. But if you rat me out, so help me God. I'm going to kill you. I'll kill your family, which is my family. So I'm going to be really sad, but Elliot, I'll do it. Elliot, if you get... For I, I have a little idea for your brother's bachelor party. Okay, you should Does get it, you should get a special guest, Gritty the hockey mascot. <laughs> he would, he would love that. He, <laughs> that's my my brother's the kind of person where I can imagine Gritty shows up at the party and then starts taking the costume off and there's a strip underneath and and he's like no 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 put the costume back on I want to hang out with Gritty. <laughs> David would be crying because it's like <laughs> finding out that Santa is just your dad. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> yeah, that was has been destroyed. I mean, Art dad, Art's dad is Santa. He's Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. Oh, wow. That's our dad. Oh wow! Yeah, when my when we were a kid, my dad hit Santa with his car and had to take over the role. Uh-huh. And it was it was hard. It was hard growing up with our dad being so deep in the Santa life uh-huh. because he often wasn't there. He was with his uh, with his underbosses, his 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 capos, the elves. Yeah. And he would have to plot on his list which kids would get good presents and which kids would get whacked. Mm. And you know that's the secret about Santa on the naughty list. Those kids they just disappear them. Yeah. But you know, and I wanted to be a maid elf, and I tried so hard. And he took mm-hmm. me aside, and he was like, "You're weak. I'm sorry, you're weak. You're never got. You're never gonna have what it takes." And that's why I turned state's evidence, and why my dad's in jail. This, for, is, a, this uh, is a mashup worthy of a Facebook promoted <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs>
there's got to be some sort of Santa mob. That, like the oh, same sure. way that there was that period where everyone was everyone. Where I was constantly seeing people wearing those Looney Tunes. Uh, like gangster rap mashup shirts where uh-huh. Bugs and Daffy and Taz will be wearing a ton of rings and gold chains. So there's got to be some kind of Santa mafia. Yeah, thing. yeah. If like some- I didn't choose the Santa life. The Santa life chose me or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. The other thing about that, um, that La Cosa Santa, something like that. Yes, or like, Dan? or like Mrs. Claus painted up like a like a Dio dos Muertos lady with a couple, <laughs> like a pair of nickel plated forty fives in her hands. Okay, I mean that's a kind of different criminal organization. That's not the mafia, but, <laughs> but it's still really cool. I mean, that's, I'm oh, yeah, just I mean, pitching awesome. ideas. Yeah. I think. I mean, I thought we were blue skying it right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are no bad ideas. No bad ideas. Dan, do you have any bad ideas? <laughs> no, but I wanted to say that the other thing about that uh, made man ritual or whatever. Like, the fact that they did that stuff with the blood and burning the photo, I was just like, I guess this is, you know, like, based on this book that you said, so this all has to be accurate, but <laughs> I had no idea that the mob was so silly. Yeah, yeah, just like everybody poops. Based on a book, <laughs> everybody poops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, just like that movie, uh, Two Girls, One Cup, based on the book, Everybody Poops. Uh, yeah, it's the mob, I mean, here's the thing. One, anything that uh, New York guys from the block do is inherently silly. They're the silliest of all people. And I say that as somebody who grew up in New Jersey, who lived a lot of long time in New York, who really loves those types of people, but they're very silly. But also the mo- it's that's the thing is like the mob is at heart a it's a criminal enterprise and I know I'm going to I know I'm putting my life on the line by saying that guy yeah, so yeah, I need yeah. you to protect me. The mob's mm-hmm. a criminal enterprise but they need to pretend it's more than that or else people will just turn them into the cops all the time so that they don't go to jail and so they have yeah. to pretend it's a it's a religion essentially now if i was a real radical i would say that all religion is in, in a sense an organized crime that guzzies itself up <laughs> with silly nonsense but i don't believe that so i will not say it <laughs> yeah well yeah it's like but, uh, it's like the cult leader in mandy once uh <laughs> once his like aura of fear is punctured uh his strength he, he loses power yeah, exactly. I mean, once once uh, the the cult leader in Mandy, he's got to gussy it up, or else he's just a kind of uh, a kind of like frail ex folk singer walking around with an open robe with his penis hanging out. <laughs> at, w- at which point, are you going to go kill Nicolas Cage's wife on his word on his say so? I don't think so. Okay. No. Anyway, John Gotti Jr. He keeps falling into the life, but John Gotti lies to his wife and says that John Jr. is is going to be kept away from that life. Meanwhile. Uh, there's another tragedy in one that the movie treats as almost bigger than the death of a child when cops wiretap Gotti's best friend Angelo, who oh, played which, by played by uh, character actor Pruitt Taylor Vince, who's awesome. Yeah, although he's another one of these characters that showed up in the movie. I'm just like, were you in the movie before? But, yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of they're like they're like this was his dad's best friend Ange. Ange was his best friend. I'm like really because they haven't spent any time together until this moment when he needed into the story. <laughs> apparently, this- apparently early on in the production, this role was supposed to go to Joe Pesci, and then he gained a bunch of weight, and he wasn't able. Then they gave him a different role, and he sued <laughs> them, and they had to pay him money. Yeah, this this movie. Wait, it's like gave the produ- him a different, wait, hold on, hold on. The production. I don't. The production I, I, wait, wait, back, back. No, no, Elliot, shut up for a second. For once in your life, for once in your life, shut up. They gave him a different role because he gained a bunch of weight. Pruitt Taylor Vince is not a small man. No, no, I no, think no. He gained no, he gained for the role, and okay. then they're like, actually, we we got Pruitt Taylor Vince, <laughs> okay, who has not been nominated for Academy Awards like you, Joe Pesci. <laughs> it's a the it was a they they uh. I think Joe Pesci won, didn't he? Yeah, he for won. For Goodfellas? Yeah. But, uh, and, but, uh, 
the, the, the production history of this movie is almost more interesting than the movie. Like this was going to be like an A-list movie with mm-hmm. big name people in it. And then over time, and this happens to movies all the time, it just kind of like slipped through the cracks and filtered down to this netherworld where it's being directed by a guy from Entourage and Movie Pass is one of the big investors. Yeah. So and, and and then John Travolta, we have to say Big star, but he is giving one of the worst performances I've ever seen. I mean, he's, a, ha- he's having fun, guys, right? <laughs> he he's is having, having a good fun. time. It's a thin line <laughs> he's because making he's a trying a lot of this thing. He is so good in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, and that performance is not that different really? in some ways than this one. But there, I think he's so good in it, but he's playing this very flamboyant, strange man. And here he needs to be playing a guy who can be taken seriously as a cunning mob boss and instead he's playing it like this weird flamboyant strange man so if it was like yeah. if this was a movie that was called like the craziest mob boss and he was the mob boss where everyone was like can you what's the deal with this guy he's so weird and that point i mean he's i don't know john travolta's got a weird energy about him that i like he's kind of like but in this one it doesn't work okay anyway and the, and the whole time while watching this movie i kept expecting frank d'angelo to walk in and start singing a song <laughs> it does feel like a frank d'angelo movie that frank d'angelo turned down like <laughs> like he's like mm, i've got standards no thank you you know i left my heart in san francisco boom. uh so the cops wiretapped angelo and on the tapes he's he he says things about bad things about the big boss Paul and also he talks about unsanctioned hits and stuff and crimes that Paul didn't sanction every the, the thing that that the lesson that I learned from this movie is that mobsters for all their talk of loyalty and respect and honor they're constantly pulling off crimes their bosses did not give them permission to do that yeah. seems to be the the running thread and Paul wants those tapes and Gotti is like well we got to kill Paul I got to save Angelo uh, meanwhile, Gotti beats a uh, beats the rap on a Rico case. There's a big street celebration that I think is also the Fourth of July, where fireworks are going off in the city streets, and some cops are like, "Hey, we got to shut this down." But John Gotti stands up to them, and the cops stand down, and the neighborhood cheers because who's really in charge? John Gotti. <laughs> yeah, the, he's the, got- the cops realize that the small folk are with Gotti. Because <laughs> <laughs> once you get the money, then you get the fireworks, yeah, and then you the get the power. Yeah. But Gotti just keeps trying to kill Paul, and uh, he he has uh, – meanwhile, there's another childhood friend of his who he has killed because he was an informant. Uh, but then Stacy Keach dies, and Paul, the big boss, he does the worst thing, doesn't show up the funeral. And okay. John Gotti's like, this is unacceptable. And it is a pretty dick move. Like it's like if you know you didn't show up at the funeral of the person you're closest to because – I don't remember what they said he had to do. I think he was on a boat or something, or he had to. Uh, he was making a, like he had to do a personal appearance on The Price Is Right or something. I don't know. Yeah, what yeah, would, yeah. What, Where do you think he was that was more important than his underboss's funeral? Dan, uh, which guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. M- moving on. He had. Uh, uh, this- he had. He had uh, Saturday Night Live tickets, and those are. <laughs> he had put so much money into those. So well, the thing he is, he go. really wanted to. He really wanted to see the rehearsal. Because uh-huh. the yeah. show, we all see the show, but the rehearsal, that's where the magic gets made. And sometimes some of the best sketches show up and then get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so John Gotti, he still wants to kill Paul, and now he really wants to kill him. And so this is when they pull off the one scene in the movie where I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this stuff, where Paul Castellano is assassinated outside of Sparks Steakhouse in Manhattan. Let me just say this, guys. Let me just say this about Sparks Steakhouse. Okay. I, w- I wish – this is someone who loves steakhouses. I have a personal favorite steakhouse. That's Keen's in Manhattan. Yeah. I wish that Sparks 
was up to the same level of quality that I feel the band Sparks is at uh-huh. because I don't think it's that great a steakhouse. <laughs> and if I was a mob boss, I would be kind of disappointed if I was killed in front of Sparks Steakhouse. <laughs> I'd rather be killed in front of Keen's, Peter Luger's, yep. maybe even Wolfgang's. Yep. Uh, like, old Homestead. You know what? Old, old Homestead, the, the oldest steakhouse in New York. Uh-huh. You know what? At a certain point, I might even pick being killed in front of a Ruth's Chris. I mean, that's a, I mean, if we're talking about chain steakhouses, Ruth's Chris is pretty great. Yeah. Now. Or a Mort or a Morton's Ruth's Chris and Morton's are fine chain steakhouses. Sparks, not as crazy. So again, I just want to make it clear. If I'm ever a mob boss and you want to kill me in front of a steakhouse, please kill me. In, unless it's the fact is like, you're killing me in front of a Sparks because you're like, he's going to be disappointed in this steak. I want to not make mm-hmm. him feel that disappointment. I'll kill him before he eats it. Because if I get shot in front of Keens, I'll be so disappointed that I'm not going to be chowing down on one of those dinosaur-sized yeah. prime ribs underneath a ceiling hung with clay pipes, yep. uh, uh, surrounded by old newspapers from the 19th century. Yeah, uh, You don't want to eat in a place that's uh, with walls plastered with pictures of Don Shula and other members <laughs> of the <laughs> Miami Dolphins franchise. <laughs> well, no, that's why I wouldn't eat in, front, in a Shula <laughs> if, I, if I was going to be assassinated. Although Shula's not the best chain steakhouse. They're okay. They're not terrible. But uh, this is. But I remember this being like this was a big event when it happened. And this was the one time where I was like, oh, yeah, here's something I know about John Gotti. Now, of course, this is one of the time. This is maybe the most famous thing he ever did other than, I guess, dying in jail. And <laughs> – this is this is one where they go so they go so overboard with the archival news footage. And here's one thing I liked about this movie is that they show you a lot of archival news footage of John Gotti, like just uh-huh. news stories covering him during the 80s. And it's like, oh, I kind of wish this was a documentary that was just like pieced together from old news stories and didn't have all this other stuff. Did you guys ever feel that way? I, I mean, I love I mean, watching old news stuff. What do you I guys certainly think? felt like whenever the news reports were on, like were the only times I understood what was going on in the movie. I'm like, yes, thank, thank God. Like someone's <laughs> explaining what's happening in this film. You know, oh, thank the maker. Finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like you, you pause the movie and it had uh, the IMDb trivia pop up on the side. Type yeah. Thing. <laughs> the, um, or, uh, or it listed what actors were playing, what roles. And you're like, that's who that is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I dug it. It's it's with the archival news footage and it was a little it was a little disorienting because they do except for like one specific thing, they do make no effort to disguise what John Gotti actually looks like and what John Gotti Jr. actually looked like. So it's a little yeah. weird to see in a movie to see those two things, to see that and then Travolta in his crazy makeup. I mean, um, to see how much fatter the real John Gotti Jr. was was a real shock to he me. He isn't like a super buff dude. <laughs> he wasn't, and apparently was not 21 years old his whole life. He, uh, yeah. he, didn't, he, didn't look, he didn't look like a high school football player his whole life, yeah. inst- or a high school swimmer, I guess. I thought, it was Instead, a, I thought it was a tin drum situation where he decided he would never, <laughs> he would stop aging. <laughs> yep, you can do that's that? the power of the mob. Yep. Yeah. yeah, he's like, and, I'm, and also, never gonna st- I'm never going to stop aging, and my hair is never going to change except for getting taller or flatter. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that let's make him look older. I know. We'll give him a kid and play haircut. That's what will do it. That'll really age him. But the, it, it was a little jarring to see, although it bugs me when they do – in movies, sometimes it's more jarring when they have fake archival footage with mm-hmm. the actor in it. But it was jarring to see the real John Gotti who – just in his news footage exudes much more charisma than John Travolta exudes here. Yeah. And then to see the real John Gotti Jr. And then see like it, – it did feel a little bit like uh, you were you suddenly were watching the community theater performance of a famous a famous movie or something like that. Uh-huh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there's uh, – John Gotti gets named the new head of the Gambino crime family. Now he's famous. He's on the news all the time. 
Lots more mob shenanigans. Uh, Gotti's best friend Angelo try, has tried some unsanctioned hits on Gotti's enemies, and to save his life, Gotti exiles him from the family. A year later, he dies, as John Gotti says in voiceover, of a broken heart. Oh, so oh, sad. Okay, just like uh, Queen Amidala. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, they're very similar in a lot of ways. That, right? He's like, he died of a broken <laughs> heart, just like Queen Amidala. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, and there's, a, there's also a, a medical bot next to him. So now John Gotti's sitting on top of the world. He's the head of the Gambino crime family. Uh-huh. His, his son's a made man. He's forgotten that his other son died. His other best friend is gone, so he never has to buy him a birthday present uh-huh. anymore, which is a, a lot of pressure to yeah. figure out the right thing to buy for a, for a friend or a good friend for their birthday party. Mm-hmm. Or because, a good fella. Yeah, or a good or a good. Fe- There's a scene in the movie. Where they're like, "Yeah, so and so's a good fellow," but da 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 da. And it's like, wait, you know that they didn't really say good fella, right? Like mm-hmm. the term was wise guy, but there was a TV show called Wise Guy, and that's where they called the called the good fella. Like the, it's a movie. It's a mob movie made by people who know the mob from mob movies. But anyway, uh-huh. John Gotti sits down. I mean, to I his, expected him to. I almost expected him to call him a good feather because that's about the knowledge <laughs> of fucking mob movies they have. <laughs> That would be so funny if they're all constantly bobbing their heads like pigeons. <laughs> Trust me, I saw Animaniacs. I know what the mob is like. And then it, for some reason, John Gotti sings a song with every country in the world in it. Uh, so jo- so John Gotti sits his son down. He's got a big goal. He wants to build a nationwide mob empire that will last 100 years. And it's one of those moments that's like, okay, hold on a second. Like maybe that was his ambition, but that's one crazy Mm-hmm. Two, it's stupid. Three, he sounds like Hitler when he says it. And four, the movie presents it as if he's a real man of vision and this is an amazing goal that he should be working towards. Yeah. Like, when in any movie has anyone ever said, I want to build something that's going to last 100 years and it hasn't either, one, fallen apart instantly or two, been evil? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, when they created the the ring of satellites around the Earth to prevent geostorms, it just made geostorms, so I think that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all remember when that happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, they shouldn't have given uh, the the Gambino crime family the contract mm-hmm. for building those satellites. The geo satellites, yeah. Yeah, because then when they took the geo satellites down, they're just full of guys who had to disappear. This is kind of just stuffed them full of this bodies. This is kind of tough at this point in the movie. This is where I was getting kind of bored, and I was like, "Do I have to put enough attention to this movie or can I just sit here and unlock more characters in Smash Brothers? Because <laughs> I n- I'm just working on trying to get Wario unlocked cuz I kind of see a lot of It's pretty hard, right? Yeah, and I kind of see uh kind of see a, a lot of myself in Wario, uh, <laughs> you, yeah. you know? Cuz we're yeah, both he's like, real... both, because you're both an evil version of someone else. Yeah, and we're both like <laughs> but we're both like business-minded, you know, and <laughs> Uh, we so both have like really business? recognizable St- laughs. Stuart, you've mentioned Wario being a small business owner before. What is his business? <laughs> his business is beating the shit out of Mario, dude. Uh, <laughs> Wait. That- so do people hire him to and do that? And it's, yeah. and it's booming. Uh, How is, it, is, yeah, is, is money you know, changed at some point? But, guys, I think you're both going to be happy to know that I, like Wario, had the professionalism to not do that and focus on the movie. <laughs> Yes, good. Because you know who are the original Smash Brothers? The Mafia. So moving along, uh, John Jr. gets married, and he has his first dance to a song about a dad giving advice to his son. Because even John Gotti Jr.'s wedding has to be about John Gotti, which is crazy. It's the least romantic song anyone has ever danced to. (laughs) Charlie was so mad there was no uh, Frank Sinatra song. 
<laughs> I mean, they're not going to pay for the rights for that, but they they should have done the thing that. Uh, so uh, Dan and Maya's friend uh, Eric Marsizak once told me about a wedding he went to where the DJ said, "Hold on, look who's here! It's Old Blue Eyes," and then kind of a mascot version of Frank Sinatra with a huge Frank Sinatra head walked out and was <laughs> miming, singing into a microphone as a Frank Sinatra song played, and it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. I think <laughs> that would be incredible. I went to a uh, I went to a Sweet Sixteen uh, that was the most uh, Bensonhurst Italian thing you could go to, uh, and at one point the DJ said out loud. Is anybody here Italian? And everybody <laughs> lost their mind. And then the Tarantella started, and I had to get the <laughs> fuck out of the way, or else I'd be yeah. crushed. <laughs> In the rush to the dance floor. <laughs> it was awesome. Now, uh, you you were almost, and if, when you died, your autopsy report would have said cause of death, hospitaliano. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so now John Gotti, uh-oh, but he's on trial for the murder of Paul, and Sammy the Bull Gravano, that murderous rat, testifies against him in exchange for life in the witness protection program. The movie does not mention that Sammy the Bull eventually went to jail anyway for drug dealing. Not the great guy that we were led to believe, this man, Sammy the Bull, who was a hitman. <laughs> but he also, uh, and they made a point when he was when that character was first introduced, that John Gotti didn't trust him. Like, yes, it's yeah. like he had, his, his Gotti sense was tingling. Even though, <laughs> even though his boy yeah. uh, Chris Mulkey was backing him up, character actor Chris Mulkey. <laughs> yeah, there was absolutely yeah. no reason at that point in the movie for John Gotti to suspect him. He didn't, except for the fact that later on we have to know that he's going to be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's called brilliant foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, so jo- there's some unsanctioned killings as a result. Uh, John Jr. puts his foot down. No more killings. Mrs. Gotti is very upset that her son's a gangster. You said you'd keep him away from that life and so forth. But that so John Gotti goes to jail because he did it. He committed that crime. Uh-huh. Gotti got it. He got a uh-huh. sentence in jail. And John Jr. gets arrested. Uh, and he wants to. And this is that great scene where he says goodbye to his kids who all look older than him somehow. Yep. And <laughs> and. He wants to sign this plea deal so that he can be in jail and then get out in time for his kids to be his age. And Gotti Sr. says, no, if I was you, I wouldn't do that. I want to go into that courtroom one last time and stand up to everyone. And he says, and break their holes, which is a crazy way to describe it. And it's like such a gross way for someone to talk about like being a man and standing up for himself. To be like, I'm going to go in there and break their holes because it's like (laughs) (laughs) it's so disgusting. Uh and they That's, talk about uh, how so that you're not gonna you're not gonna steal that line for when you have uh, when you have the talk with your son. <laughs> now, Elliot, I don't know. I'm not sure which talk that would be. Now, important. Elliot, which 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 holes are they talking about? I don't understand. Now, let's take a moment and talk about that because <laughs> the human body only has so many holes. There's your there's your nose nostrils, uh-huh. your ear holes, uh-huh. your mouth hole, your pizza there's pie the hole. Whole, pizza pie hole. There's the holes in your eyes that let light in. There's your pores. Maybe he's talking about their pores, like covering them in gold paint, like the woman in Goldfinger, uh-huh. and and. They asphyxiate because the pores. And then there's the other holes. There's uh, for the front hole for urination uh-huh. and the back hole for defecation. And now those holes, there's multiple uses for them. You can Sometimes you're putting things in for pleasure. Sometimes you're taking babies out of them. But there's <laughs> – I'll just – but it takes a lot to break them. Like people put their holes through a lot of punishment <laughs> for pleasure and they rarely break. 
and they're often fixable. Now, Elliot, and so, is this what so the what movie, is he gonna, is this what the movie Holes is about? What you're telling me right now? <laughs> Not having seen it, I'll have to assume that yes. I mean, the movie based Holes on, is about based on the expression Shia that Shia LaBeouf has on the uh, the box art. I think yeah, it's about that. <laughs> it's now I don't know if it's about a, a boy whose holes are broken and has to get them fixed, or a boy who's under threat of having his holes broken. But it's it's like at a certain point you have to wonder. What's going to – to say break about an organic part of the body that's not a bone is weird. Like those holes are soft tissue. So to say break is like – if it's gross to say tear their holes, uh-huh. but that's more accurate. And there's often some tearing, say, during natural childbirth, uh, during vaginal childbirth, and that's a natural thing that happens because babies are huge and they're coming out of a very small space. Now – to say break implies that there's a hard structure to it, that there might be cracks or some kind of fracture, some kind of fracturing where maybe pieces flake <laughs> off or fall off. Like it pebbleizes a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know what he's, is he talking about first that he's going to freeze them with liquid nitrogen yes. and then smash them with a sledgehammer? Because <laughs> yeah. specifically their certain- whole area. <laughs> <laughs> just the whole area. So he needs to use one of those little doctor hammers that you use to test your, your reflexes so mm-hmm. he doesn't break the whole body. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a localized uh, use of the nitrogen yep. to just freeze that part. But the, it's a very good question. What holes is he talking about, and how is he going to break them? And it's the subject of today's episode of <laughs> the guessing, flop holes. I'm <laughs> now, it's the ear holes. <laughs> now, here on the flop holes, we talk about holes and things that people do with them. And today we're talking about breaking holes. That's right. Break into electric holaloo. <laughs> And my guests today are Dan McCoy, hole specialist. Dan McCoy is a, and Stuart <laughs> Wellington, okay. who often Stuart Wellington, who often shops at Whole Foods. Your place for food that goes in your holes. <laughs> now, guys, when I say break your holes, what does that conjure up in your minds? I just want to get your first first impressions. Uh, <laughs> Why did Dan look at me? <laughs> well. I mean, I feel like I we've already kind of covered what I, I get in my head. I get like a guy with a big sledgehammer kind of just like cracking it into someone's butt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And now does this now the butt already has a crack in it. Yeah. This is this is creating new cracks or different cracks? How does this work exactly? Uh <laughs> you just be very extreme in your detailing. <laughs> it's more about shattering the pelvis, I think. Okay. Now you're talking about that okay, so Stuart. Now, your experience with Holes is a little different. Uh-huh. Whole Foods is a chain of grocery stores owned by the Amazon company, which also distributed Gotti, the film <laughs> we were talking about earlier. Yeah, now, yeah. If, if he was saying break Whole Foods, would that mean like what, to literally demolish a storefront? Or is he talking about driving the company into bankruptcy, which would be hard to do since Amazon has such deep pockets? What do you think, Stuart? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think that's a tough one. I think uh, putting a second crack on a butt is uh, <laughs> kind of like a madman's gambit. I think I think people haven't considered horizontal as a possibility. <laughs> uh, so more of a whole or reorientation. I, I'm, I'm going to get out some breaking. graph paper here in a minute, and I think I mean I, I don't know about the angles. There could be an issue. Maybe if I fold the graph paper, it might work that way. We'll find out. Great. Now let's while we give Stuart some time, let's go to our next segment, the flop hole recommends, where we recommends mo- we recommend movies or books related to holes. Uh-huh. Now, of course, I'm going to recommend Disney's The Black Hole, the story of a spaceship that literally goes into a person's butt and finds a portal to hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, is that what happens in that movie? There's also a lovable robot and also kind of a mean robot, and I guess they all fit into somebody's butt. Now, my runner-up recommendation is, of course, uh, the movie. 
Holes, starring Shia LaBeouf, which I haven't seen, but I have to assume is about a boy who's either has a broken hole that he needs to fix yep. or is in danger of having his hole broken. Do you guys have any recommendations for the recommendation uh, segment sure. of the flop hole? I'll recommend Ace in the Hole, mm-hmm. uh, starring Kirk oh. Douglas. Uh, originally called the Big Carnival, it's a you know, it's a which very would be cynical, inappropriate for this segment if it was named that. <laughs> cynical uh, <laughs> examination of uh, how the media can drum up a a story. Now it's also it's about someone who gets trapped in a collapsed mine, which is literally a broken hole in the earth. Right, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'm going to recommend the whole nine yards, which I think is better than, than its sequel, the whole ten yards. Which uh, I mean, though still appropriate for this segment, uh, didn't come to mind first. <laughs> And now it's time to turn to our sponsor. We're sponsored tonight by Hole Buster, which is uh, it's uh, both a video store that only has movies about holes and also a place to go to get your hole busted. Which hole do you want? How much do you want it busted? That's up to you. Hole Buster. Oh, now, wow. it's turning- what, a scale of one to ten? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah. Or do they have different, do they have different uh, like face images to represent the amount of busted? <laughs> no. Now, I can't say I've never been there, but, you know, I'll just say Holebuster. Go there. Uh, you get 10% off with the code FLOP. Uh, Holebuster. Bustin' makes you feel good. Now, turning back to Gotti, uh, <laughs> John Jr., he signs the plea agreement. John Gotti, he doesn't want to leave jail. He fights his cancer in jail. He refuses a pain-killing coma. And also, when a priest comes to administer last rites, he waves the priest away as if to say, no, I like being a mobster more than I like the grace of God and more than <laughs> I like going to heaven. I'd rather go to hell a mob boss than go to heaven kneeling at the feet of that of that whole god mm-hmm. and so okay uh you know do you and yeah well, now here's another another sponsor for the flop hole the whole earth catalog <laughs> now the earth has god a hole in it, it that leads to pellucidar a hidden <laughs> land of dra- dinosaurs you might want to order something from there the whole earth catalog uh now john Gotti dies and it's all over the news and again this is when i learned that john Gotti was actually younger when he died than john travolta is now and yet they caked john travolta with enough ma- enough makeup he looks like little big man uh-huh. in the uh at the end of his life <laughs> <laughs> and uh we see period footage of john Gotti's funeral and a lot of local mooks talking about how John Gotti was so great, and he kept yeah. the neighborhood safe. This is the point at which I was like, he's dead. Why isn't the movie over? <laughs> nope. It just keeps going. <laughs> but, like, As- but, like, people love, like, people at the time walked, like, they, I mean, they showed archival news footage. Like, there were riots when when Gotti was uh, put in jail. People were walking around wearing free Gon- John Gotti shirts. I wish it was Gon Jotty. That would have been better. <laughs> or John uh, Gandhi, yeah. who, he was a mob boss who believed in nonviolent crime. <laughs> I think you're only allowed one uh, crazy digression per uh, 20 minutes, Elliot, so you can't All right, John fair Gandhi point. Segment. My parole officer is shaking his head. He agrees with you. Yeah. Uh, so John, that John Jr. is still on. He goes on trial even though he signed a plea deal. They never really explain what happened there, but I guess it's that the government is like going after him with case after case and charge after charge to oppress him because the government just hates Gotties. You, re- you look at the oppressed cases in American history, and you've got, of course, slaves, Native Americans – uh, different types of worker, and of course the Gotties, among the most oppressed by the government. And John Gotti and Mrs. Gotti puts on this. She, she finally has her big scene where she yells in the court about how this is crazy. Stop harassing him. And, and but the but we've seen him do crimes, guys. Yeah, yeah. He's done a bunch of crimes. It's not like we he's saw him not as the he- criminal. He is a criminal, but he gets acquitted. And there's some end text text stating that the government kept going after the Gaudis and they released hundreds of killers to get their testimony to uh, put John Gotti Jr. and John Gotti in jail. And the implication is that 
the government so hated these two guys right. that they unleashed a wave of monsters mm-hmm. in exchange to try to capture them. That it was it was literally a case of we got to catch these two rats. So I guess we'll have king cobras all over America in every bed biting our children. Uh, and then we cut to John Gotti again in front of that bridge, and he goes, if you live to be 5,000, you'll never see another guy like me. And it's like, dude, I've seen so many guys like you in the movies, in the White House, in the state I grew up in. Like, the movie really fails to get across what was special about John Gotti. So, guys, what do you think was special about John Gotti that they decided to make this movie about him? Uh, his hair? I mean, he's I mean, he's a big, uh, larger-than-life, he was a larger-than-life, like, actual organized crime figure who captured the public imagination. I don't think, I mean, he was on the, he was on like major news publications covers. Like he was, that's true. That's why they made a movie out of him. That's true. He was one of the, he was, he was the bachelor for one season too. (laughs) The it's, it's kind of weird though. Cause I'm assuming, I'm assuming his family had a lot of input in the making of this movie. Um, it actually kind of reminded me of uh, another biopic that Dan and I watched recently, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which was clearly like deeply influenced by the surviving members of Queen. So it like blanded out all the possible drama and painted all those characters in a very specific light. And it's very much an advertisement for in this, like that was an advertisement for the music of Queen. This is, I guess an advertisement for, I don't know, the mafia. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) And And they're both movies like built around one specific performance you know, John Travolta in that old age makeup wearing John Gotti's clothes, Rami Malek in his makeup wearing Freddie Mercury's mustache. And teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Giant Wait. fake horse teeth. Yeah. Wait, so did they did they dig up Freddie Mercury and take off his mustache and his teeth so that Rami Malek could use them in the in the part? No, he had to break into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and get them. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, That's it was right. a heist. I, I forgot. Now there's a movie, Rock and Roll Heist. I mean, that's isn't that like uh, the Pick of Destiny, the the Tenacious D movie? Don't I guess it is. The yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I think maybe you're right. Uh, I guess this is the point at which we do final judgments. Usually, yeah, yeah, it so is. We, I mean, this movie it leaves why, me why so exhausted. The, why break the chain? It, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. This a good bad movie or bad bad <laughs> yeah. movie or movie you kind of like. The, the the question will the circle be unbroken is asked, and Dan <laughs> says no, it will not be. We will do final judgments. <laughs> So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna say this was it had so much potential to be a good bad movie because there's so much wacky stuff in it, but it just it just pounds you down. I would say the first half of this movie is like good bad, and by the second half you're just like I don't know. It's just scenes being thrown at you, and there's no. It's hard to understand what's going on, and it really gets to the point. Like it just takes it so much for granted that the audience is on John Gotti's side from the beginning. That he doesn't have to win you over. He's such a lovable character. And it's, you know, the the one thing they're missing is, I guess, like the Pope canonizing John Gotti at the end. Mm-hmm. But it's, I would, but I would say bad, bad. It, it, I wished it lived, it like lived up to the hype of being a, a really bad movie, but it didn't live up to the hype of being the most fun bad movie of the year. Guys, what do you think? Was it supposed to be the most fun bad movie of the year? Was that the word about it? I don't know. Because uh, I, yeah, I think it's bad, bad. I think that, John Travolta's performance is comically over the top. Mm-hmm. I think that there's so many funny things. That, like they're like these crazy needle drops all the time in the movie. There's so many like music cues. That, <laughs> they they have all these pop songs that don't really relate to what's going on yeah. on camera. Yeah, and just I mean the the lines like you say are so stupid from time to time. But I the fact that I just couldn't follow a goddamn thing means that 
I just can't recommend it at all for like a bad, bad movie. Yeah, that it like bad movie. that it manages to at the same time give too much and too little information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, by the end of it, you're like you're you're struggling under all the all the facts they've given you, and yet you have no idea what any of them mean. Yeah, no, I think I actually think you have the right of it, Elliot. I think it uh, the beginning is feels like a good bad movie, mm-hmm. and then like as I said, like. It it makes you long to go and grind out some more characters on Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. <laughs> I, maybe I would say watch it until Angelo dies. Maybe yeah. until they exile Angelo, <coughs> because there's the funny part where he exiles Angelo, and then Angelo leaves the kind of dank social club that all the mobsters hang out at, and they just all look away from him as if they can't see him. And it's very funny that <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. the the ultimate mob punishment: the cold shoulder. Yeah, yeah. He walks out and they react like John Cena is waving his hand in front of his face. (laughs) Hey, Max Fun listeners. Have you been listening to Max Fun for a while and you've just been wondering, where's the new Flat Earth podcast I keep hearing about? Well, here it is. We give you all the facts on NASA's lies and how we know that the Earth is actually flat. Just kidding. kidding. This is Ono, Ross, and Carrie, and we join fringe religious groups. We undergo alternative medical treatments. And we hang out with people like 9-11 Truthers, Flat Earthers. We find out why do people believe strange things. We join them, and we tell you all about it. We have a lot of fun. We make a lot of friends. Yeah, we do. We joined the Mormons. We joined the Scientologists. We got acupunctured. We got fire cupped. We got ear candled. We've done it all, and we're going to keep doing it all. Why don't you check out Ono, Ross, and Carrie at MaximumFun.org? Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. It's a podcast that we do as uh, we may, we are married. And how's the ad going so far? Because I think it's going very good. <laughs> we talk about things we like every week on Wednesdays. One time Rachel talked about pumpernickel bread. It was so tight. You cannot afford to miss her talking about this sweet brown bread. We also talk about music and poems and, you know, weather. There is one... Weather? <laughs> one time Rachel talked about Baby Beluga, the song, for like 14 minutes. And it just really blew my hair back. <laughs> so check us out on MaximumFun.org It's a cool podcast with chill vibes Amber is the color of our energy Is what all the iTunes reviews say <laughs> They will now um, There's no sponsors this week But we do have a Jumbotron That I would Lovely. like to read Uh huh. And it goes A little something Like this <laughs> This is a this message is for Dad. Do you want Do you want us to leave the room? Because I know these solo <laughs> Dan reads are the very popular. Yeah. yeah, people love them. Okay, sorry for interrupting. I mean, this is a jumbotron, so I okay. don't think it. I don't think it works that okay, way. Okay, cool. <laughs> You're not going to take as much liberty with the text. Yeah, <laughs> not going to spend as much time being a self-deprecating, lovable car- teddy bear in yeah. this one. Uh, this one's for dad, which is very non-specific. Uh, <laughs> I feel. Like, I mean, for uh, one person, it's very specific. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Dan was like, I'm not going to do this the way I do a solo ad read, and then immediately started <laughs> going going after the subject of this, what I assume is going to be a heartfelt Jumbotron if it's too dead. Uh, it's, yeah, well, I just, you know, I, I want to make sure it gets to the right person, and I don't know if dad's the most <laughs> clear, but 
Uh, I assume that from the context of it, it's the same way that when my family gives me a Father's Day card, it just says to dad. It doesn't say like to Elliot Kalen, the dad of these children (laughs) with our fingerprints and the birth certificate stapled to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first of his name. This is <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't print out my ancestry.com tree and my 23 and me results to to make sure it goes to the right dad. <laughs> and your twinning celebrity lookalike percentage. <laughs> oh, Eddie Deason. Uh, uh, uh excuse me, I don't uh, I would be honored to be Eddie Deason's twin. So this one's for the dad. The man's a national treasure and a Beatles expert. <laughs> this is a uh, from Parker. That that narrows it down. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and Parker says, Dad, first of all, thank you for buying me Elliot's book. I can't wait to read it with you. In my first six months here on Earth, you've exposed me to a lifetime of podcast content, but I can tell that Stuart, Dan, and Elliot make you LOL the most. Since I'm a baby, I don't get why it's funny. (laughs) Neither does Mom. But it makes me happy to see you. (laughs) So that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I applaud Dan for not reading that in Dan's... uh, like affected baby voice that he does yeah. sometimes. As as his character baby boy Dan McCoy, his <laughs> SNL audition piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where he's like, quick, I gotta get into makeup and then smears jam all over his lips. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's what babies look like. Uh, well, <laughs> they got well, jam all over their lips? Yeah. Okay. Well, well that's that was the whole message, Dan? Yeah, that's it. That's, that's a very sweet yeah. message. That's adorable. How nice. And I'm impressed that this baby could handle the the Max Fun Jumbotron interface, not because it's <clears> difficult, <throat> because the baby is so young. Mm-hmm. I think we have a uh, we have a genius on our hands. Yeah, so genius. we've got some <laughs> live shows to promote, right? Let's do it. We got two live shows to promote. Uh, you've heard us talking about how on January 26th we'll be at the University of Wisconsin Madison in beautiful Wet Madison, Wisconsin. Saturday, January 26th. At the Wisconsin Union Theater, Shannon Hall, I believe, is the location. We'll be talking about Venom. That's right. My favorite Marvel character, circa age 13, got his own movie. I still haven't seen it yet. He's, We're going to talk think, about I it. I think Venom is kind of like the John Gotti of Marvel heroes. Uh, <laughs> in that he's a lethal protector? I guess so. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, and because John Gotti was covered in a symbiote from outer space. Yeah, and John Gotti had that <laughs> yeah. huge tongue that people on the internet find sexy for some reason. Uh, they, do they? That's I weird. can explain the reason no, if I you get want the, me to. I get the reason. But I think he has, John Gotti is very similar to Venom in that Eric Larson also did not like drawing John Gotti and decided to make him as monstrous and crazy as possible. Oh. Hence the long tongue and the teeth. Okay, it would take, it would take a young Mark Bagley to reassert that Venom is not just a slobbery monster drool creature. Okay, now, we have a new show to to, to advertise. Guys, can we talk about it? Dan, can we say it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess, wait, yeah, I'll allow it. There's nothing in the rule book that says he can't promote it. Okay, that's right, boys. We're going back to our old stomping grounds of the Bell House, Brooklyn, New York, bell house Sunday, February 3rd. That's right, Super Bowl Sunday. We'll be talking about, or can we say the movie or no? Uh, we, yeah, yeah, let's we can say, say the dude. movie. Yeah, so we'll be talking about, I think, what, the Happy Time Murders? That's what we yeah. decided on. Yeah, yeah so football-themed show, Super Bowl Sunday. Hey, do you guys hate football like I do? Come to the one guaranteed show my brother won't be at. Sunday, <laughs> February 3rd at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. I mean, just based uh, on law of averages, even if you like football, it's most likely that your team isn't in the big game. So why don't you come watch <laughs> us instead? 
That's true. And guys, I'm going to have a little extra pep in my step because it's going to be the day after I celebrate my grandmother's 90th birthday party. So watch out. I might be a little hungover. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Super Bowl Sunday, February 3rd in Brooklyn and January 26th in Wisconsin. Get your tickets to those ones. The Bell House ones, the tickets might not be available yet, but hopefully they will be soon. Yeah. And do you want do you really want to just go along with a fucking crowd? Do you like football that much? No, you don't. You're just going to watch the Super Bowl because that's what everyone in the U.S. is doing. But Dan, but, but, but why? Wow. Okay. What? One, one. It's an American tradition. Everybody loves it. Two. There's always the chance that it'll be like my favorite Super Bowl that year when the lights went out in half the stadium and they had to stop the play, but they kept broadcasting it, and it was just confused football people wandering around in the dark, wondering what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite football game of all time. It was so real. The uh, can we announce the? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Why I'm asking. Um, Dan will edit this out if I'm wrong. Um, and Dan and I are going to be guests at another show at the Bell House oh, yeah. on ja- on Saturday, January twelfth. We're going to be guests on uh, a live Ono Ross and Carey show. Oh, Ho- cool! Hopefully, we're going to get electrodes attached to some part of our bodies. Mm-hmm. One of your holes is going to get broken. Yeah. Which one? <laughs> I don't. Think and how? You got, yeah, you got to show up. The Bell has to find out. <laughs> yeah, they haven't told us uh, exactly what crazy experiment we have to take part in yet. So. Yeah, I mean, I hope they don't tell me until I literally walk out in front of a room full of people, and then I go, <laughs> uh, go, 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 ghosts, and then ghosts come and tear my body apart. <laughs> that's, that's what, what you hope for? About, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's your best case scenario. <laughs> that's my best case scenario. Okay, interesting. So we got those live shows. Guys, let's move on to the next segment, which is letters. Uh-huh. All right. Thanks for <laughs> telling me. <laughs> oh, wow. Thanks for keeping your foot on the gas here, Elliot. Uh, yep. Let me pull up the letters. <laughs> While Dan's doing that, hey, Elliot, what's going on no, with no, you, I buddy? Uh, you watch any new TV? No, you you see that Romanoffs? <laughs> it didn't take that long. I had it right here. <laughs> I saw a little bit of Romanoffs. I've been watching that Haunting of Hill House show. Oh, is and, it too uh, spooky? Uh, it was. It's very spooky. And you know what the spookiest thing about it is? Uh-huh. Carl Gugino just does not seem to age. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Is she a ghost? Yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah, is she, uh, she planning to play John Gotti Jr. in an upcoming biopic? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe. That's a weird leap. Uh, she's she's playing Joan Gotti in the gender-swapped version of Gotti. Or Joan Gotti Jr. in this case, since that actor didn't age. Um, Dan, <laughs> let's, let's power forward. Okay. <laughs> Football. Um... It's a uh, basketball. Oh, is it? <laughs> I was trying so, to. Dan, re- I was trying to relate it back to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and you did a great job. You did a great job. Thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, this letter is from someone that I didn't. I don't have the name, so I apologize that I do not have your name. Uh, I <laughs> I hope that you will still enjoy hearing uh-huh. your letter read on the air. As always, five-star community outreach and customer service, courtesy of the Flophouse. Yep. This letter's from Anonymous, uh, so nope. make sure that you're wearing some kind of cool V for Vendetta mask. <laughs> or writing the novel Primary Colors, a Romana Clef about the Clinton campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody, the Flophouse really knows how to make its listeners feel special. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on to the letter from Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I recently watched Hitchcock's 1937 film, Young and Innocent, Uh a crime thriller in which the daughter of the local chief constable risks it all to prove the innocence of a man she's only just met. We were really enjoying the performances and the cinematography, and the effects were impressive. At the end, though, things got a bit weird. The climax of the film— Are they going to talk about the blackface stuff at the end? 
Elliot, don't fucking spoil the letter. Okay, sorry. The, uh, the climax. Hey, I don't know. Hey, if I knew who wrote it, I'd be worried about offending them. But it's just an anonymous letter that a bird dropped in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> Th- thinking that your head was a rock that it could break open the the letter on and to eat its sweetmeats inside. It just dropped it on you. The climax of the film takes place in a hotel restaurant with a crowded dance floor and live band. The heroine and her companion are searching for the man they believe to be the killer who they know has a twitchy eye. We're treated to some dramatic irony as the camera mo- makes a very slow push in across the dance floor to the band to a close-up of the eyes of the band's drummer, which we see to be twitching. This is all very tense stuff and great filmmaking, or at least it would be, if not for the fact that halfway through the push-in, my wife and I realized the entire bland band, other than the white singer, was white guys in blackface. Holy shit, we both explained, explained, exclaimed, mm-hmm. and basically lost it. <laughs> they said, holy shit, we explained. Some shit <laughs> is holy. If it comes out of a saint, maybe, or the Dalai Lama. Uh, <laughs> we finished It'll the be movie. stuck in a reliquary and then sold <laughs> off by a traveling, uh, you know, giga salesman. <laughs> Yeah, and when the, well, when the new Dalai Lama is born, they hold out poop from three different people. One of them, the old Dalai Lama, and then two random strangers. And the the child must reach out to the poop that belonged to him in a previous life. Mm-hmm. Dan, finished, continue with the letter. We finished the movie after a bit, but it kind of spoiled the mood. Has something like this ever happened to you? Can you think of a time when an older movie seemed timeless right up until it really, really wasn't? Keep on flopping in the free world, R-O-C-K in the U.S.A., now, I'm going to say, one, this happens in a ton of old movies, and what, but that part doesn't really bother me, and I'll tell you why. One, the audience, is not suppo- the audience of the movie is not supposed to be enjoying that these people are in blackface. To me, it is, it is a moment in entertainment history from, the, from England in the 30s when blackface was common, but, the, but you, the viewer, are not supposed to be like, I love it. This is great. This is the villain of the movie is in disguise as a performer in blackface, and so I don't feel like the movie is saying – this is a fun thing that everyone's going to enjoy, as opposed to, say, A Day at the Races, which is an okay Marx Brothers movie. It's not one of their best, but it's okay until the big number where they're dancing and singing with the village full of black people that suddenly appeared out of nowhere behind, and they're all talking in dialect. And the Marx Brothers, for a brief moment, try to hide by putting grease on their faces so that they are in blackface, and it's like that's supposed to be a funny moment. It's supposed to be something that the audience is amused by, and that doesn't work for me. But something like the scene in Young and Innocent, I don't think the audience of the movie is supposed to be like, this is hilarious that they're in blackface. I think it's more of a it's a detail that's meant to help disguise the identity of the, the real criminal that much more. What do you guys think? I mean, it's still... I mean, you still have a reaction to it as a modern viewer, though. Like, I guess so, but it doesn't ruin the movie, and the, like the movie doesn't feel tainted to me in the way that other movies do. For that, there's there's a I forget which Fred Astaire movie it is. There's one where he does a dance in blackface as a tribute to Bill Bojangles Robinson, uh-huh. and it's and it's a really beautiful dance, but it's very hard to get through the pat, fact that he's doing it in blackface. But even there, he's doing it not from a point of view of this is hilarious or like I'm doing an exaggerated cartoon version of a black man. That's That one's more complicated and complex to me, but it's like, uh, I don't There's so many times in old movies where you have to be like, okay, I don't like this, but this is, but that's either from the time, but there are other times when you're like, this is not okay at all still, and it shouldn't have been then, but I don't know. It's so complicated, guys. Yeah. The, what, what's a mo- The other day, uh, uh, the other night I was at the bar and after RuPaul's Drag Race finished up, I was about to turn the TV off and then VH1 started playing Pretty Woman. So I'm like, I'm leaving the TV on. 
And then as Pretty Woman was wrapping up, but then like, big oh. mistake, huge. And then I was going to turn the TV off again, and it was Dirty Dancing, and I'm like, oh, I'm definitely leaving the TV on. <laughs> And then I was about to turn off the TV again at like two in the morning. And then uh, <laughs> 16 Candles came on. And 16 Candles is a movie that like I on tape as a kid and I watched so many times and I haven't seen it in years. And I know it's terrible. <laughs> like I know that like the uh, there's so much gross shit uh, and the 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 long duck dong character is so horrible. Like it's terrible. But. I don't know. I watched the opening credits. I'm like, I still like the opening credits. <laughs> and then the rest of the movie, I had to turn off because <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I, I, I mean, you, you, you hit my go-to Elliot with day at the races. So day at the races. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of movies like that, that I, I really like, but then they mishandle ethnic characters. I mean, like I, I've mentioned once in a live show that like, I love Westerns, but every Western I watch, I have to deal with the fact that it is about the, elimination and demonization usually of another of uh, an entire type of person unless it's one of those westerns they made in the 60s where they're like uh, uh well we'll tell things from the native point of view but we'll still kind of say it was a good thing that that we settled the west but uh there's i was watching music man with my son recently as he called it it was a four-day movie because we're not gonna let him watch a movie that long all at once so it took him four days to watch it and i love that movie but there's a scene in it where they have the song Shapoopy, yeah. which is maybe my least favorite song in the whole movie, uh, partly because I don't like the term Shapoopy. I don't understand it, and it doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> my son loves it because it's now he has a sanctioned way to say the word poopy, is if he says Shapoopy. But there's a, there, the whole song is about going after a girl who's hard to get because she'll relent eventually. And there's these, there's one verse in it where it's like, Give her a squeeze. Give her a pinch when she is, and look in. Get a pinch back. That's fancy cooking. And it's like mm, I don't approve. I don't approve of just going around pinching girls when <laughs> when they're not looking. So that that's one of those moments where I was like, uh. But my son was so distracted by the word shapoopy that he didn't care what the actual song was about. Yeah. So that was fine. Yeah. Uh, moving. Hit us with another letter, Dan. Maybe one with a name attached. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um. This one. Is from Shane. The movie wait, Shane. hold on. No, wait. This one's from Landon. Okay. <laughs> keeping, Dan, keeping up my. Let me trend. explain. Do I need to explain how letters work yeah. to you? <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that I somehow mistook the word <laughs> Landon for Shane. <laughs> Two most different names. No, um, this is from Landon, last name withheld, who writes, I absolutely love slapstick and physical comedy, a la Chaplin, Keaton, Cary Grant, straight through to Steve Martin, John Ritter, and Melissa McCarthy. However, I find these types of movies, lesser quality ones anyway, are often plagued with unbearable caricatures, character tropes, archetypes, stereotypes, and just downright unfunny characters that immediately make me furious. For instance, any low-rent version of a Jerry Lewis character, or the entirety of the 1967 version of Casino Royale. Are there any types of characters that drive you batty? Love always, land and last name withheld. Um, and uh, there's one, like, we, we're not just talking about comedic characters, I don't think. I think it's open to everything. But there's one that really bothers me, and that's the overbearing mother archetype. Like I just don't find that funny at all. There's but, so many. But Dan, your favorite movie is Where's Papa? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just like gorillas. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not a real gorilla. <laughs> well, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> you can pretend it is all you want. No, I just find that like <gasps> I just find it upsetting. I find the overbearing mother character upsetting and unpleasant, and I don't find anything funny about the way that these characters often seem devoted to ruining their children's lives. Like, <laughs> pardon me. I just find it very bothersome, and of course, any. Uh, I don't like sort of like the sassy black character because I find it very like uncomfortably like racially tinged. Like that. You, you prefer black characters to know their place and not talk back. <laughs> no, that's not it. I just like in an, in an, like, in an all white movie when they like turn to like the black character to just like say something snappy and like. Well, I think do- I, I think. That would probably apply also to the one gay character in an otherwise straight movie. Yeah. I'm guessing too, right? Where it's like your job is to be the jester. Yeah, you're going your your job is to do the is to do the the comments that make everybody laugh and uh-huh. you have no interior life, that kind of thing. Exactly. Uh yeah, but And yet you and yet you love the mannequin movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know, I just like the, he the likes, Starship song. He likes magical necklaces. Yeah. Um <laughs> I mean I mean can I, what about rapping grannies? Do you like rapping grannies? <laughs> or when like when like a stuffy uh stuffy person says something in slang? Oh, that's now you're to hitting on my least I mean, favorite comedy trope. I mean we've, the, ta- we've I didn't expect them to sound like that. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it a million times, but I think uh I think we're all quite sick of the like like the the nagging girlfriend or bitchy ex wife character. All the characters that Judy Greer seems to be forced to play. Unfortunately, she's so much better than that. And I'm going to go with the uh, – this is a character type that I guess starts with what, like Bill Murray, uh, but has become kind of in a different way uh, Chris Pratt's big thing where it's like the hero who's kind of a jerk to everybody, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to be charismatic and is really incompetent and really foolish and yet – He's the hero that everyone's supposed to love, and another character is always pulling their bacon out of the fire. But they, uh, but they're, but the other character is not the hero of the movie. Instead, the guy who's a jerk who can't get his act together is the hero. And you know, of course, I uh, a character trope that I will never get sick of is the medical examiner or coroner who is always eating a sandwich on the job. Hollywood, <laughs> if you ever need somebody to play that character, I would love to do it. Thank you very much. I mean. That's lovable. But the thing that it, it really points out is the lack of workplace labor regulations for coroners. They don't mm-hmm. get a lunch break. They got to work straight through the day. Oh, wow. And They're like video game developers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're working 80, 90 hour works, weeks so that uh, electronic arts can get that game out on time yeah. or that autopsy. And it's just not fair to them. Um. Yeah. I keep putting the phone down in between uh... – these letters and I shouldn't because I should just keep it open. Yeah. Can we talk? Uh, do we have another layer that's going to bring up negative stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we have another letter that, that has to involve us grandstanding about things that we feel better than? <laughs> uh, no, we've got a fun letter to end on. It's from Shane. Last name withheld. Uh-huh. Aforementioned Shane. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. I've been looking forward to his letter. <laughs> hey, hi guys. You all mentioned, hey, Shane. <laughs> you all mentioned Piranha 3D. <laughs> yep. I was in that when I was 16. Uncredited background, not even an not even an extra, just sort of wandered onto the set. Cool. Some trivia about the shooting location. There was a huge die-off of carp that summer, 
due to a carp-specific herpes going around in the water, and everything in the whole area smelled like dead fish rotting. The boat in one of the caverns is still intact and sitting on my old boss's property. I tried to get into the movie as a stunt performer by waiting outside the director's office and doing flips when he would come out for a cigarette. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> I like that moxie, though. Years later, yeah, yeah. years later, I ran into the director at an Irish bar in Tempe, Arizona. He gave me his card, and I lost it. I'm also friends with someone high up in the... Is that, that, is that that Irish bar in Tempe, Arizona that... Oh, fuck. What's that author? There's this like author who writes these fantasy books about a fucking druid who lives in Tempe, Arizona. <laughs> and the he's always hanging out at one bar that actually exists. And it's the weirdest fucking thing. Okay, go, Dan. Uh, well, I don't know I'd why like you raised le- a question that could not be answered. Somebody will <laughs> write I- in. Yeah, yeah, Stuart was sure you or I would know about someone who writes a book about, book about druids in Tempe, Arizona. But here's the, I think here's the cautionary tale of this letter, and knowing it hasn't finished yet, is when someone gives you a business card you want to hold on to, don't do any flips until you put it on your nightstands or maybe in your files. Because I have to assume he did a flip in celebration and it fell out of his pocket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or because Bazooka Joe did something hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and he just flo- flew backwards with the contents of his pocket spilling out everywhere. Uh, he finishes the letter. I'm also friends with someone high up in the local water department who said it might not even have been herpes that killed those fish, but I forget what his findings indicated it was. <laughs> Guys, sounds like we got another mystery on our hands. Book us some flights to wherever they shot that. I think we got a lot of leads here. We got more information <laughs> yeah. about this book series Stuart talked about. We got this herpes thing that I feel we, we like gotta, was a... Uh, was, was some like false lead that David Keckner created, <laughs> so that his <laughs> now, carp we, murder we, we, spree was uh, not pinned on him. We've clearly got to start at this Irish bar in Tempe, Arizona, mm-hmm. and then eventually get back there. We've got our team now. I'm the guy. I'm the stealth guy because I'm short and I'm small, so I can hide in the shadows. Uh, Stuart, you're obviously the muscle and also the face. Dan, you're a herpes expert for obvious <laughs> reasons. We got. We're gonna have to and, solve the problem. What's killing carp in this Dan's unnamed our, lake? Dan's our tech guy, right? Because he's good at handling the emails and such. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. now, now, Elliot, weren't you trying to sell this pilot, Fish Herpes Detective? <laughs> yeah, it was called Fish Herpes Detectives. It starred us, but we also had like a cute kid that we had to adopt and went with us. And the kid had a funny lisp, so it would be like, herpes? And we'd have to try to hide what herpes was because they're not ready for that knowledge. Now, here was the problem that a lot of the networks had with it. Mm-hmm. One, the word herpes in the title, but I stood firm on that. That wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Two, uh, the budget I was asking for of $20 million an episode just for the three of us, not counting production costs. The rest would be kind of on a shoestring. And three, that we were going to investigate one specific fish herpes mystery but never solve it like okay. the way Twin Peaks was supposed to be done. Uh-huh. Uh, and also I was going to try to get the log lady back out of retirement so that she could be a main character on the show, maybe even the villain, who knows. But uh, we, it was hard to secure her involvement to get her attached. Again, herpes in the title, not huge. And at the time, a lot of the networks said we're not buying fish shows anymore because fish police was such a big disaster. Uh-huh. And I was like, that was a long time ago. People are ready for fish shows. Remember Fish, the spinoff from Barney Miller? Uh-huh. And they were like, no, we don't. No I one mean, remembers that. I feel like tons of people are ready for fish shows. I mean, they play like multiple nights around New Year's Eve in Madison Square Garden. Oh, right. <laughs> But <laughs> you're laughing, Daffy, back in so your pocket. <laughs> so, Dan, is that the end of the letter, or was there more? That's, that's it. It was just a fun story about Piranha 3D. Yeah, it was great. That was. Well, that's, that's, that's clear our palette. That's, 
That's really thank you for clearing our palate from all the uh, from the very serious letters that came before. Uh, we might have to have a discussion with Dan about maybe just having one feeling bad about types of people letter per show. Yeah, I mean it's 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 called like a like a shit sandwich. Okay, where you have bread and shit and bread. Okay, sorry. What? Let's let's Still next time unpleasant. let's have. <laughs> yeah, that but you wouldn't want help the me other... out that much. <laughs> you wouldn't want the other way around, dude. <laughs> It's not like a double decker or whatever that thing is. The double deuce. So I the gotta, double down. I got to choose between one of them. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to choose the ball. It's like choosing the ball or the sword in Lone Wolf and Cup. Okay. Yeah, or the or the lady or the tiger. Keeping in mind that the lady is a lady that you don't want to talk to. No. <laughs> like someone at the DMV or what? <laughs> Uh, some a lot of fine people work at the DMV, but yeah, yeah she dude. does work there. Yeah, her name is her name is Sherry. She works at the DMV. Okay. Um. So now to the last segment on the show, this uh, this this crazy show of ours. Dan, when was the last time you went to the DMV? <laughs> I, I I don't know. Okay. Because uh, last time I went to the DMV, the lady who was handling my case was delightful, super professional. And it didn't take very long. California mm-hmm. DMV. Ask for, uh, I forgot her name, but she was really good. Okay. She was the one, you know you're in good hands when the person who's handling your case is the one everyone else is coming over to to ask questions about forms they need. Yeah. And she has the answers. It's like, I'm in good hands. This is the expert. <clears throat> um, okay. Well, thank you guys for schooling me about my stereotypes. <laughs> okay. About the DMV. You'd think since the first two letters were literally about stereotypes, mm-hmm. you would and, know not to step in. I would think you would like the DMV because it could be uh, like those letters could stand for Dan McCoy vehicle, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they could. That's that's factually true. Or Darth Murray Vader, since Murray <laughs> is Darth Vader's middle name. But Dan, I know your stereotypes about the DMV come from Patty and Selma on The Simpsons. By far the most offensive stereotype on The Simpsons, that these two ladies who work at the DMV are very Uh, unpleasant. Wait, hold on. Otherwise, extremely PC show. Uh, So this last segment of the show is where we recommend movies that we saw that you should watch instead of Gotti. Please, Lord, watch anything instead of Gotti. Yep. Um, I saw two movies last night, both of which... I enjoyed um Gotti. One was uh <laughs> one was Under the Silver Lake, which has not been released here yet, but I have friends yeah, how who do you had see that in Uh friends had access to a French DVD. Oh, I know the friend. Um so <laughs> it's the follow-up from the guy who did It Follows. It's a So this is what follows it follows. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh <laughs> Uh, congratulations. If I were there, I would high five you. <laughs> yeah. Put a, put like a zinger sound effect in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Add in a, just a zoo zoo. <laughs> but, um, it's nominally a mystery. I mean, it is a mystery, but like none of it makes any sense. It's all, it's kind of in the tradition of like stoner LA mysteries, like the long goodbye or big Lebowski, but it's much more absurd and weird and nonsensical than, either of those films like it's about a a unemployed guy played by Andrew Garfield who's who there's a woman who goes missing in the middle of the night who he had a moment with and he wants to find her and he sort of becomes convinced that there are all these hidden signals around him like that these messages that 
I mean, it's it's all it's about the interconnectedness of all things, except for like everything that he, every clue that he follows up on is totally absurd, and should not lead to, um, him solving the mystery, but somehow does. Spoiler uh, alert. Um, sorry. <laughs> and uh, so I watched that, that. Hasn't even been released <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. And I saw. I also saw Mausoleum, which is a great, uh, bad movie. About a woman who's possessed by a demon after she goes into a mausoleum, and that's shown by her eyes turning green and her doing like crazy things with her brain powers. Sounds awesome. And uh, talking about stereotypes, there is a very like minstrelly like uh, lady housekeeper who gets scared of the supernatural thing in the middle of it. So that's kind of wheezy, but. Yeah, the you rest thought of it. mausoleum would hold up. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of it is like so bad and funny and so of its time. And uh, there's just like there's a twist ending at the end that is completely nonsensical in the most delightful way. So if you're looking for a bad movie to watch, I say mausoleum. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie. Uh, I, after seeing you were never really here earlier this year, I've been, uh, slowly dipping back into Lynn Ramsey's catalog and I'm going to recommend, we need to talk about Kevin, uh, a spooky little joint (laughs) starring, uh, (laughs) starring Tilda Swinton, John C. Riley as That's the full quote on, on the poster, a spooky (laughs) little joint. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I thought it was really fun. Um, it's uh I think it's a great little horror movie about an evil kid. Uh it's shot beautifully. It's uh built around an incredible central performance by Tilda Swinton. And uh yeah, I mean, I it's it bounces around in time. Uh it it postulates a universe where Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley are married, which I love that idea, although <laughs> I don't know if I feel like the their child would be even more alien than Ezra Miller, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I like it. I also really my my big my favorite thing to do is to watch movies that uh, elicit strong reactions on IMDb user reviews, and <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin is very much like that. Apparently, people thought it was based on a true story. <laughs> uh, now. I mean, it's it uses a couple. the The movie uses some kind of on the nose uh, music cues, but it works. I don't know. Whole thing works. I like it. Watch it. Spooky kid. <laughs> <laughs> spooky little joint with a spooky kid. <laughs> yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a movie that's also uh well it's not spooky at all, but uh, it is haunting. Oh, I'm gonna recommend the movie First Reformed, uh, Paul Schrader's movie with Ethan Hawke about a priest who is a at a not a priest a reverend sorry a reverend at a down point in his life uh he is too much into alcohol and he gets wrapped up in the life of a married couple where the husband is pretty much on his way to becoming an eco-terrorist and in a lot of now the last paul schrader movie i tried to watch before this dog eats dog i could not get through Mm -hmm. but this movie i found super spellbinding and just like really disciplined and restrained in a really great way and it feels like it's his take on Ingmar Bergman's Winterlight, which is also about a, a a religious leader who is who gets traumatized basically by his experience dealing with a man who is in crisis because of larger world issues that he really has no control over, uh, and and suffers because of that loss of control. But at the same time, it's also like a companion piece to Taxi Driver in the way that Ethan Hawke's character develops over the movie. They're both about men who 
get very intimate looks into people's lives but have found that they can no longer connect with the world anymore and as a result they become radicalized in different ways. Only this one – the thing that's radicalizing him is like a real problem, which is the destruction of the environment. But I thought that Ethan Hawke was really great in it. Cedric the Entertainer has a role in it. And he's really great in it and it just, I've just found it to be a really powerful, affecting movie. Don't watch it looking for a good time. But at the same time, yeah, watch, watch we it. need to talk about Kevin for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh it it's one of these movies that came as close as I can think of to an American take on what is usually a very European type of movie, something that's grappling with religious issues in a serious way, grappling with larger forces and the way that individuals can or cannot influence the world around them in a, in a larger way and I just thought it was really really well done. So first reformed. Yeah, no, that's that's like that's being talked about for award seasons, right? I mean, it's one. It went won some independent spirit spirit awards and some critics' choice things it was nominated for. But uh, I think it should. I would love it to win some awards. I think it's a really great movie, and it's the kind of movie that would be easy to dismiss as I don't know either too. This is too boring or too depressing or too serious or too bleak. Like I don't care. But it's just I found it really like. Powerful, and I, there was never a moment where I was bored with it, even when the movie was moving at its own pace. So, try it out. First Reformed, Ethan Hawke. You love him. He's handsome, right? Mm-hmm. And so, Cedric the Entertainer, he's hilarious. I mean, the part he's playing is not funny, but he's so, very good at it. So, three movies you can see and one movie you can't see. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yo, Dan was just dangling that one in front of you to show how cool he is. Uh, now what do we do, Dan? Now we say... Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> wow. Well, like a regular Where was John that accent Gotti. earlier? <laughs> yeah. Dan, you had so much opportunity to do your 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 bridge and tunnel guy accent, and you just Dan, didn't do it. Dan, I need to ask you a serious question. Uh-huh. What's the matter with you? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Marone. Oh, wow. <laughs> really, really, really buried the lead on this one, Dan. You really... Loading up the back with all the stuff you should have How, done earlier. Were you talking just about planning to do that one line and you were practicing the whole day in your head? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, I want to applaud my own restraint for not going into a long digression in which, where I was like a Jersey guy talking about how great God he was. Mm-hmm. So – Thank you to me, Elliot, for not doing that and instead going with the much more profitable holes tangent. Yeah, I love the idea that Elliot is congratulating himself on restraint. <laughs> uh, so before we go, as always, check out MaximumFun.org for mm-hmm. a bunch of other great shows, mm-hmm. podcasts. You like podcasts. You're listening to one right now. Uh-huh. Why not try it? I mean, you, you, we, yeah. we don't know what your reaction is to this. You may hate it, but... <laughs> um, also, if you like the show, give us a review on iTunes, tweet about us, you know. Tell your friends, tell stuff. your family, uh, introduce it to the to, to the made men or women in your life. Let's uh-huh. be, <laughs> it'd be, it'd be really funny if they were, they wanted Gotti to be uh, more of an accepting movie. So they're like, you're now a made man or woman, <laughs> <laughs> as the case may be. But yeah, uh, tweet about us, Instagram about us, Facebook about us, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, the Flophouse as Jan mentioned, it's a production of Maximum Fun. Go to MaximumFun.org for other great podcasts. There's lots of Don't great ones. Don't know why ones. you need to repeat it. I cover all this stuff. It's just undermining uh, me at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Once again, uh, get the fuck out of here. Forget about it. Marone. <laughs> okay, all right. Well. And uh, uh, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm, 2.0. I'm Elliot Kalen. <laughs> and I'm Stuart Wellington. I guess we're ending this thing. Goodbye. <laughs>
Now, here's the thing about Home Alone. Okay. Uh-huh. He also had that neighbor, the scary old man with the snow shovel, who also could have come over and helped him at any time, but yeah. instead was just kind of waiting outside like a sentry. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, as in uh, the Judas Priest song, The Sentinel, just mm-hmm. waiting for someone to come by so we could hit him with that shovel, right? Yeah. But maybe Kevin McAllister had put some sort of supernatural ward on the on the house that would only allow the wet bandits in but would bar entry for any other adults. Have you thought of that? I think that's that's certainly possible. I mean, I don't know what's in their basement. They already had all those uh, cardboard cutouts and stuff. They probably have some kind of uh, books on esoterica. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.